How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. You've likely worked with people or you're going to work with lots of people who are suffering from adrenal dysfunction. It's a plague of the modern world. Stress seems to be a 24-7 phenomenon and folks are in a dangerous aftermath of high cortisol, which we'll talk about in a moment. It's often followed by low cortisol. So high cortisol and all the dangers there and low cortisol and all the low energy and other things that happen with that. And it's a response to our modern world. It's a response to 24-7 stressors. And the cortisol is a force that truly impacts people on a deep level. Their energy levels, their sex drive, their weight, their motivation, and their cardiovascular system. So on today's episode, I am going to share with you what I found in over 30 years of practice to be the most useful ways to help and to coach people into what to eat, what supplements to take, and what herbs can be helpful to help them restore balance to their adrenal system. We also call it hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis, and that's really what's dysfunctioning, the response to stress. So... I've put together some charts and some other resources that summarize what we're going to talk about today, and you can download them at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash adrenal. So as you already know, most likely if you're here, is that the job of the adrenals is to protect the body in the face of danger. Its job is to mobilize resources that can be used to either escape or fight. And the way that the adrenal response was designed is for physical stressors. Physical stressors like lions and tigers and bears, oh my, things that are physical where we need all these great things that happen. And in the event of a physical stressor, we want the blood sugar to go up. We want the blood pressure to go up. We want the heart rate to start racing and the respiratory rate to improve. We want to shut down digestion so that we no longer have to worry about digesting the food. We can put all the attention on escaping from the physical dangers. But unfortunately, most of the stressors that we deal with in this modern world, they're not physical. There's no need to run and jump and hide. There's no need to escape. When you're sitting at the computer and getting upset as you read the stock market report or get an uncomfortable email from a family member, that is not a good use of the resources that cortisol mobilizes for us. So whenever people get into this situation where cortisol is mobilized and there's no physical stress to escape, that extra blood sugar that gets mobilized to be able to run and jump and you know fight, it tends to elevate the insulin and the elevated insulin then can lead to weight gain especially around the middle. 
Uh, plus, there's other consequences of insulin resistance, which we've gone over on a lot of other podcast episodes. We end up with brain fog. You have people coming in all the time. They're going to tell you, I have brain fog. I have memory problems. And that's a physiologic response to the high levels of cortisol. It turns off this prefrontal cortex. It affects the hippocampus and the ability of the body to translate all the memories, the current situations into short-term memory and then into long-term memory. So people say, well, I, I just can't remember things. It shuts down the um, digestive tract for obvious reasons. But if this is chronic, if this is chronic, what's going to happen is that shutting down of the digestive tract means that we're not going to be able to extract nutrients from their food. They're going to get a lot of toxic overload in their digestive tract. So a lot of the digestive issues that you're going to see in people could have a root in this chronic sympathetic overload. Reduced libido is one of the early signs of adrenal dysfunction. We'll look at this on another episode when we look at the, the tests that we can evaluate this function, but the precursors for making cortisol are the same precursors that make testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. And if we're in the danger situation, we're running away from hungry animals, we don't want to have sexual thoughts coming into play to distract us. We don't want to have the sexual energy to distract the energy from the escape energy. So sex drive goes down. And when it's continual stress, like in the modern world where it's not physical stress, that becomes a problem. And what I see people in their 30s coming in and saying, I lost my sex drive. Here we are. We want to have a baby and I have no sex drive and maybe no ability as well. So it all comes in from these cortisol levels, right? So people get more anxious because of the high levels of cortisol constantly sourcing through their blood. They can even get depressed as an aftermath. And because the same precursors, tyrosine and amino acid, it comes into play with making adrenal functions and, and the epinephrine and norepinephrine is involved with the making of the neurotransmitter dopamine. So we lose motivation, they get depressed, et cetera. So the big part is the cardiovascular stress. When that glucose is constantly elevated and we get the increase in insulin, the insulin causes hypertension. The insulin thickens the lining and makes them more stiff of the blood vessels. So we really need to be watching out for the stress and coaching people on how to manage their stress by other means. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about ways that they can manage the stressful response, mitigate the stressful response through food, through supplements, and through herbs. So let's just jump right in. As a concerned practitioner, you need to be able to help people to make diet and lifestyle adjustments to mitigate these effects so that they don't end up with infertility, low sex drive, cardiovascular risk, high blood pressure, insulin resistance, diabetes, etc. It affects the body as a whole, the endocrine system, the digestive system, the neurologic system, the brain and neurotransmitters, and on. So we really need to help people to get this stuff under control. Let's talk about how we can coach people to eat to support good adrenal function. Some of this is same old, same old. Some of it's the same stuff that you're going to coach people on for overall health. But there's some caveats and some nuances. So an alkaline diet is super important. When we're eating a diet that is alkaline forming, 
the cells get to replenish, the cells get to be nourished, the body gets to be protected from diseases like cancer and infection, etc. So an alkaline forming diet, and there's lots of charts, we'll include one in the handout, that is an alkaline forming foods and an acid forming foods. And you've probably seen this all over. You can look it up on the internet. It's a lot of slight variations, but helping people to be on a more alkaline forming diet. Also eliminating dietary stressors. You know, when people come in to see you and you do a diet diary, that there's a lot of dietary stressors out there. If they're eating the standard American diet or the standard Western diet in any way, and they're not adapting to what's known to be changed, they're definitely having a diet that's putting stress on their system. So some of the dietary stressors we see all the time, caffeine, and caffeine is especially problematic for adrenal support. We wanna get off of the caffeine, but here's the caveat, here's the trick. People are doing the caffeine because their HPA axis is dysfunctional and they don't have the energy to make it through the day. So they use the caffeine as a crutch and it's a vicious cycle. It makes the cells work harder because they're not making their own ATP and energy and the caffeine makes it all last longer. So we really want to be careful with that. And, you know, when I'm working with somebody, that's not the first thing that I do. I don't take them off their coffee right away. We wean them down. We get them on some herbs. We'll talk about some of the adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms and things like that, that we can replace it with. The other kinds of stuff in there, like alcohol, people think, oh, I just take my alcohol to relax me at the end of the day. But alcohol has damaging effect on every system in the body, the liver for sure, the acid alkaline balance. It creates a, a situation for fatty liver to develop. It causes um, an increased risk of cancer. There's been found that women who drink three or more drinks a week, or three at least, even just three drinks a week of wine, they're subject to increased risk of breast cancer, like by 14 or 15%. That's huge. We also want to make sure, of course, all the stuff we know about, get them off of the sugars, the refined foods, the packaged stuff, gluten, any allergens that they're subject to, the gluten, dairy, corn, soy, eggs, peanuts, anything that they have an allergy with. I usually start with getting them off all of the top allergens, and then we do a, a provocation. We add some of those things back in. High carbohydrate breakfast. That's the standard American way, right? Pancakes, toast, orange juice, all of this stuff, along with their bacon and eggs. But those carbohydrates in the morning put a lot of stress on the adrenals. If they're going to eat breakfast, which a lot of people need to do when they're in a state of adrenal dysfunction, then we need to balance that breakfast to keep the hormones in balance throughout the day. And I would highly recommend you check out the little book that I put together called Hormone Hacking Breakfast Menus or Hormone Hacking Break Your Fast Menu, which is what breakfast really stands for. And you can get that at hormonehackingbreakfastmenus.com. We'll put that in the show notes. So you want to avoid a high carbohydrate, but you also don't want to recommend that people are eating, you know, just bacon and butter and bacon and eggs and foods that don't have all the components. So in that little booklet I share, you know, we should have something green in that breakfast. We should have something that's a good source of protein. It doesn't have to be animal protein. It could be plant protein, really good stuff that they can put in there. So greens, protein, good omega-3 fats, um, good fiber, and then something with probiotics in it. You know, my favorite is coconut yogurt or sometimes cashew yogurt. 
So those things make up a really solid breakfast to help people to keep their, their blood sugar steady throughout the day, but also their adrenal support throughout the day. Estrogen levels. I mean, it's really important that we balance estrogen levels in these people. And an important thing is keep estrogen levels balanced. So many people are on hormone replacement. They're on birth control pills and they're using a lot of xenoestrogens, hormone disruptors in their foods. And we need to be looking at that and helping people to reduce that because that has a huge effect on the adrenal health. And of course, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, fruit to the extent that their blood sugar can tolerate. All the minerals, all the vitamins, all the antioxidants in that improve the function of the adrenals and a lot of other things in the body. Sometimes adding sea vegetables can be super important. Some people don't like them. Or adding fruits and vegetables that have been grown in sea water. There's a lot of places that you can find that do that, uh, or that's something you can teach them how to do on their own. That's a little bit more work, so they may be too tired to do that. Things that have sulfur, like garlic and onion, but a lot of people are sensitive to that, so really be careful in recommending that but also omega-3 rich foods, hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, algae, deep ocean fish. And if you add coconut to the short chain fatty acids in chia, flax, hemp, you're gonna get like eight to 10 times the conversion from short chain into the longer chain EPA and DHA. So I always like to give them, a, oh, something like a chia seed porridge with some coconut on top. So probiotic and prebiotic foods, not just at breakfast, but those are foods to incorporate on a regular basis. Things like kefir and rejuvelac is, is, is something that is from the old Anne Wigmore days, if you know how to make that. And it's usually was made with wheat berries, but you can make it with other grains and you strain it off. Coconut yogurt, seed yogurt, Jerusalem artichoke, chicory, those are prebiotic foods as well as probiotic foods. This is all going to support healthy adrenal function. Sunflower lecithin can be helpful because it provides phosphatidylcholine, and that's a precursor of acetylcholine, which is the neurotransmitter of the parasympathetic nervous system. So this can be super helpful for a lot of these folks. And the last food group I want to talk about are mushrooms. It could be the medicinal mushrooms or food grade, the culinary mushrooms. You know, there's a lot of, of interest in mushrooms these days. We go to the farmer's market. There's all kinds of people growing all kinds of great mushrooms, including lion's mane, which is a super important one for brain. So some of that brain fog that folks get when they're in the state of adrenal dysfunction can be helped with lion's mane mushrooms. But all of the mushrooms have medicinal value. And we'll talk a little bit more about the medicinal ones and the extracts that as we talk about some of the herbs. So let's talk about some of the supplements. And it's really, I'm talking about the nutrients, supplement if needed, or help people to eat more foods that have these in it so they extract it. So vitamin C. Vitamin C is super important for cortisol and other adrenal hormones to be produced. And it's an antioxidant that protects the body and protects the adrenals from damage. Cortisol is pretty damaging to the system. It causes a lot of oxidative byproducts. So when we're under stress, we need to use more vitamin C than anything else. And it's said that the adrenal glands require more vitamin C than any other part of the body. 
So keeping up their vitamin C, whether you're giving them a uh, supplement, recommending that, or recommending high vitamin C foods. Panathenic acid's another important one, vitamin B5. When we look at the adrenal cascade, the, the hormones that are involved, and we look at the way that they convert from one to the next, up at the very top is good old cholesterol. And most people think of cholesterol as bad, but we need to have enough cholesterol to be converted downstream into these other hormones, the adrenal hormones, but also the sex hormones. So panathenic acid is super important for converting from cholesterol into pregnenolone. And pregnenolone is at the top of the chain, the top of the food chain, and everything else within the steroid hormone cascade comes from that. So it's really found to be helpful to supplement B5 because it's hard to get enough of it when you know somebody's been under stress for a long time and they're in a state of adrenal dysfunction. The doses that have been studied the most, but you're gonna have to make it ideal for your person is 500 milligrams about three times a day. Vitamin B6 is another one that's super important. P5P, pyridoxal 5-phosphate is the active form of B6 and B6 is super important in the enzymatic conversion between the hormones. So we really need to have good amounts of B6. We also need it for neurotransmitter development. The dose I usually recommend for P5P if somebody's gonna supplement is somewhere between 25 and 50 milligrams, and you check it out. Uh, bedtime is oftentimes a good time because B6 in the form of P5P works really well, is really helpful for pr producing melatonin. It goes from, um, the serotonin into the melatonin and from, from tryptophan into serotonin into melatonin. So it's really helpful at bedtime. Another nutrient that's super important for adrenal function is magnesium. It's really important for contraction and relaxation of muscles, but also for energy production. It's very important in the Krebs cycle. There's a couple of different stages where low levels of magnesium are not going to allow you to make energy. It's important for restful sleep, helps people to just relax and calm down. General dose is like 400 to 600 milligrams a day, but usually what I do with the magnesium is I do what's called a magnesium load test. And we have people gradually increase their amount of magnesium until they start to get loose stools and that would become their optimal dose. Fatty acids, we can't talk enough about fatty acids. Essential fatty acids are critical for controlling inflammation in the body. And inflammation is one of the stressors that lead to problems with the adrenals. And it contributes to brain function, right? We need good fatty acids in order to have good brain function. So typically what I tell people to do is somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 to 800 milligrams of DHA because it's so important for blood sugar regularity. And regular blood sugar is one of the things that's critical for good adrenal function without having the stress of big spikes and, and drops. EPA is somewhere in the neighborhood of two to 400 milligrams. And you can get this in a supplement form, an algae form, uh, and a fish oil form, uh, or by eating deep ocean fish, fish and algae. There are a bunch of different trace minerals that are important. Zinc is super important. Manganese, selenium, molybdenum, copper, and iodine. Necessary for overall health, but specifically to calm down overexcited nervous system that leads to adrenal dysfunction and maladaptation. Green powders and sea vegetables are really good sources of these. 
So nettles, an herb called nettles, we'll talk about some of the herbs a little bit further down. But general guidelines, you know, it's going to vary from person to person. Zinc, it could be anywhere from 25 to 75 milligrams, depending, do they have some genetic factors? But you play with it, you just see how they respond, and you can gradually increase the dose or find their optimal dose. Selenium. You know, depending on whether they also have thyroid dysfunction and thyroid conversion between T4 and T3 problems, selenium is super important. And I like to go with 200 to 400 micrograms a day, not milligrams, micrograms a day. You can get that into Brazil nuts, right? So you help people to change their diet a little bit. If they hate Brazil nuts, they can't tolerate nuts, then of course you can do a selenium supplement. Um, Leptomum is another one really important in, in the detox pathways, right? And really important in the production of glutathione. So the ideal dose could be anywhere from 50 to 100 micrograms a day. It just depends. It depends on some of their genetic factors as well. Iodine, uh, we're careful with supplementing iodine because there's a lot of people who think that it causes an aggravation of thyroid autoimmunity. So I usually test 150 micrograms is the recommended dose by the RDA, but some people need as much as 50 milligrams a day. It depends. And I always run an iodine load test before I will supplement with iodine. Vitamin E, super important. It's an antioxidant. It's important for enzymatic reactions within the adrenal gland, and it helps to neutralize free radicals during the manufacture of those adrenal hormones, the cortisol, the adrenaline, anywhere from 400 to 800 IUs per day. And you can get this from food. There's a spice called a natto. And there's a lot of supplements that are extracted from a natto, but why not get that? I bought some powder and you can just put a teaspoon here and there within the foods and it has a mild taste, it gives it a nice orangey color, kind of like turmeric. And that's a great way for you to recommend people get some of the vitamin E. There have been some mixed studies that if you supplement vitamin E, in higher doses, it may not be so good. So negative responses. Everything we look at, you're going to find a positive and a negative. So you have to find out for this particular person. Chromium might be important if the person has blood sugar problems. If their blood sugars are swinging up and down, anywhere from 400 to 800 micrograms a day. The soils are depleted. So generally, if I determine that somebody needs chromium, it's usually in the form of a supplement. Phosphatidylserine. It's a phosphorylated amino acid that's super important for brain function and for calming things down. And it helps to lower cortisol levels. So if you test somebody and they have super low levels of cortisol, you're not going to give them phosphatidylserine. But if they have high ones, especially in the evening and at night, you can give them some phosphatidylserine to calm everything down. The dosing can be high. You know, some of the studies showed 800 milligrams a day, and they usually come in 100 milligram capsules. So could it be pricey? But there's also some topicals that you can get. And then finally, I'm going to talk a little bit about tyrosine, which is an amino acid. It's a conditionally essential amino acid. Gets converted from phenylalanine. And when somebody is in the state of adrenal dysfunction, they may be swiping all that tyrosine to make norepinephrine and epinephrine and not have enough of that left over for proper thyroid function. So tyrosine can be helpful, not necessarily, but you can look at what foods are good sources of tyrosine. And uh, if you're working with somebody who has depression and low motivation, like they just aren't motivated to do anything, they can have a dopamine problem and tyrosine is a precursor to dopamine. 
So that's an important factor to consider. And look for the foods that are higher in tyrosine. If you are going to supplement, I usually do it in the realm of 500 milligrams. Usually I do it in the morning and then mid-afternoon. Now let's look at some of the herbs. We could spend hours and hours and hours. In a course that we did last year, it was a one-day workshop on adrenals and thyroid. We talked a lot about these. And if you're interested, we'll put a link in the show notes to the thyroid adrenal workshop. And we have like a hundred and some page workbook that you can get with it and six, six or seven hours of video if you really want to dig deep into this. So I'm just going to summarize some of these and then you can dig in deeper for the people who you're you know, working with and you want to see which is the right adaptogen. Some of them are not going to work for people who are in a state of hyper cortisol. Some of them are going to work better for people who are in a hypo cortisol. And in my uh, class that I teach for our nutritional endocrinology practitioner training, we have all of those considerations. And we also share that in our adrenal, I think it's called adrenal recharge program for our clients. And we'll put the, the links in the show notes. So let's start with ashwagandha. You've probably heard of it. It's an Ayurvedic herb. It's a warming Ayurvedic herb. So you don't want to give it to somebody who's in the state of raging hot flashes or is always hot, right? Or hyperthyroid. We definitely don't want to give it because it actually has the ability to improve thyroid function. It helps people to adapt to both physical and chemical stress. And a lot of the things people are under stress for is chemical. Yeah, physical stresses exist, infections and various and sundry injuries and inflammation and all that. But a lot of the stresses people are under are chemical, which is from the foods and the environment and the toxins, and also from a mental and emotional stressors. Ashwagandha can actually make it so that you don't need to supplement or give people as much vitamin C. And vitamin C is a little Right now, with everybody looking into CGMs, continuous glucose meters, there's a lot of false readings you can get with too much vitamin C. So if you're helping somebody to support their adrenals and you don't want to give them too much vitamin C, ashwagandha would be a good choice there. It's a tonic for exhaustion. It's, a, it's an adaptogen. It helps people to adapt to the stress and either increase the function or decrease the function. It can help normalize cortisol. So let's look at astragalus. We a lot of times think of astragalus as an immune support, right? It helps people to, you know, before build up and strengthen their immune system, but it's also considered an adrenal adaptogen. It's helpful for the sexual problems, the, the lowered libido that happened. Um, again, before you start recommending specific herbs for people, I would recommend that you read up about them and then you see how it fits the rest of their symptom pattern. And we do help you do that by the resources we give you in the adrenal workshop that we have. And you can see the link to that on the site. So another one is borage. And borage is a good source of GLA, gamma-linoleic acid, which is a type of omega-6 fatty acid that's super important in creating anti-inflammatory prostaglandins. And it helps to restore the adrenals. And especially if somebody's been on cortisone or cortisol use for a long time, that can be super helpful, which also means that if they've been producing a lot of cortisol, they're in that first alarm state of adrenal dysfunction, that this can be super, super helpful for them. You can buy borage oil, um, Nordic Naturals sells it. You can get it at the health food store or on, online. And it's really small dose to get a good amount of borage into the body to get the fatty acid 
constituents of it. But from a whole herb perspective, it's used for convalescence, it's useful in, in respiratory ailments and other things. So look into it if you're thinking that somebody has some respiratory stuff along with their adrenal fatigue. Another one is Don Shen, also known as Codenopsis. It's a type of mushroom. It's used in Chinese medicine a lot. And it's used for fatigue, weakness, loss of appetite, vertigo. So for a lot of people who are suffering from adrenal dysfunction, this might be an important herb to be looking at it. Strong antioxidant, it's an anti-inflammatory, anti-spasmodic, and pain relieving capabilities. So you can do it as a tincture, you can do it as a powdered extract, or you can do it as a tea. One of my favorites is Devil's Club. Devil's Club, Apopanix horridum. Um, it's used for blood sugar balance. And the warriors, it said that they use this devil's club to paint their bodies and build their strength. And it's a really like powerful herb for rebuilding in adrenal levels. So when there's low levels of energy throughout the day, it can normalize them, but it's also great for balancing blood sugar. Another one, Hoshowu, also known as Foti, Polygonum multiflorum. And it's a really used in Chinese medicine as a rejuvenation type of an herb. So somebody's like weak and debilitated and they've been that way for a while, doing this herb can be super helpful. It's dizzy, weak, numbness, and it helps to support the liver and the kidneys. Again, you can do it as a tincture, you can do it as a tea or a powder. Ginseng is one of those, there's multiple ginsengs. What's a true ginseng? What's not a true ginseng? But we have Korean ginseng, which is Eleuthero. That's the one that we hear about a lot. Uh, commonly used to, to treat adrenal cortical dysfunction, low levels of the adrenal function. And it acts on the pituitary gland to stimulate the adrenals to produce more cortisol and improves mental fatigue, that brain fog that a lot of people are dealing with. It can also be used for supporting overall immune function. So again, read up on it. There's a lot of uses for ginseng and Eleuthero. Tincture, you can get it as an extract, a powdered extract, or as a tea. We have North American ginseng, Panex ginseng, and extracts of these have binding properties. They found them to bind to adrenal receptors, which can be super helpful in restoring the effects of the adrenals. So it's one thing that you wanna look out for People who have that nervous indigestion, they're, they're stressed out all the time and their digestion isn't working properly. Um, also mental fatigue, brain fog, and things like that. The, another one is rhodiola. Rhodiola is commonly used as an adrenal adaptogen and it can go either way. It's truly the adaptogenic type of a, an herb where if you take a very small dose, it can be stimulating, increase energy. If you take a very high dose, it can be calming and reduce the energy. So you're gonna have to play with this. If you're not super experienced, experiment with it on yourself before you start experimenting with it on folks. But it's really good for depression and memory and cardiac problems. Another one that is an herb that you have to be really careful about is licorice root, Glyceriza glabra. Licorice is an adrenal tonic that helps to raise the levels of cortisol circulating. And it's been actually used in cases of full-blown autoimmune adrenal dysfunction, like Addison's disease. It's anti-inflammatory, it's a demulcent, 
it's an expectorant, you know, demulcent, we can use it to help people with reflux and problems with ulcers, right? But we want to make sure that if we're using it for that, that we get deglycerizinated because the glycerizic acid is the one that helps to support adrenal function. And that's the part that can raise the blood pressure. So you want to be super careful when supplementing somebody with licorice. And, you know, we've had situations, colleagues of mine have had situations where people landed in the hospital with hypertensive episodes when they were started out as hypotensive and they were treating it with licorice and they liked the taste and they just started drinking it ad nauseum. And so you gotta be really careful not to give it to somebody who has high blood pressure already or tendency to that. Um, and you want to monitor, make sure they monitor. I had a personal situation happen for myself where I had bought a tincture of licorice and it was from, I forget the company, but somebody had told me they had taken it and it didn't do anything for them. And they're, I'm like, really? That's really potent. And somebody else had taken it and it did wonders. So I said, well, let me try it myself. Love the taste of licorice. I started to take it and I ended up, I was taking like a couple, three dropperfuls of it two or three times a day. And all of a sudden I was looking down at my ankles and I saw that they looked swollen took my blood pressure and it was high. I don't have high blood pressure normally, I actually have low blood pressure. So you can use it in cases of people who are hypotensive, low blood pressure, that they have orthostatic hypotension where when they stand up, their blood doesn't get to their head and they get dizzy or they lean over and then get up. So it can be used very successfully, but always use it with a lot of caveats and caution that they continue to monitor their blood pressure. Sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla has a root beer-like taste. And I had a friend who made a sarsaparilla, an adrenal adaptogen kind of drink using sarsaparilla. And it tasted kind of licorice-y like. Um, it has some natural steroidal glycosides in it. And it enhances the balance of the gland. So it helps to improve muscle toning. It helps to improve the secretion of endocrine glands. It helps to increase testosterone. Um, so it could help with the libido side effect of having adrenal dysfunction. And it increases progesterone. So some folks use it in the treatment of premenstrual syndrome. So here's the thing, you wanna check it out before you start recommending, oh, I heard that this herb was good for adrenal dysfunction, let's try it. Read about it. Read it with them. Say, how does this sound for you? And they may have some symptom that they never told you about that all of a sudden it's contraindicated. So really important to do that. And go slow, low and slow. Don't use full-blown doses. Use little sips, little teas, um, tinctures in tiny amounts as you test it out with people. Sometimes it's like miraculous that the response you see can be miraculous. Shizandra, I love Shizandra. It's a calming adaptogen. I usually recommend it at bedtime for people. You can get it as little berries, you can get it as a tincture, but it helps to calm things down. So if you have somebody who you've tested and you've seen that their cortisol goes way high at night, you wanna help them to sleep, Shizandra might be something that you can look at. Um, helps with forgetfulness and some of that brain fog type stuff. And then we have wild yam, and wild yam is an important one for progesterone levels. And we know some progesterone is produced by the adrenal glands. Some of it's produced in the ovaries. Obviously, the bulk of it is produced in the ovaries or the corpus luteum actually in pregnancy. But when we can give people 
uh, a replenishment here, like say they're making a lot of cortisol and they're in this hyper stress state, it's going to take away from their production of progesterone, estrogen, DHEA, testosterone. So wild yam may be helpful. It's also helpful for the gut. And we see a lot of gut issues with people with adrenal fatigue, right? So it's something that, you know, be careful with it. It can stimulate the uterus. So check in and make sure they don't have uterine cramping and things like that. You certainly wouldn't want to use a lot of these during pregnancy. One last thing I want to talk about before we close is medicinal mushrooms. There are a number of mushrooms and mushroom extracts that you can help people to support their adrenals. So reishi. Reishi is a great immune booster, but it's also phenomenal as an adrenal adaptogen. Cordyceps. Cordyceps has effects on a lot of other systems. It has an effect on the kidneys. It has an effect on the lungs. It has an effect on stamina. So I often use it with people with adrenal dysfunction to help them to balance their energy levels. Um, chaga. Chaga is another one. It's also good for the immune system, but it can be very, very helpful. So that's what I have for you today. We talked about the foods. We talked about supplements and, and specific nutrients. And we talked about herbs. Is this a complete list? No, no. There's a lot of good books out there on adaptogens. Uh, David Winston has a good book on adaptogens. And there's a number of good books if you really want to dig deep into it. But there's, there's just so much to learn. And when you have at your disposal some of the basic ones, some of the basic nutrients, some of the basic herbs and adaptogens. So before you start using these, jump in and you know, read about them and learn what this particular person needs. I like to use the mushrooms and the herbs in elixirs. You know, we make a bunch of, of really yummy elixirs. And we have a whole book about uh, elixirs and how you can make them at hormonelixirs.com. And there's a number of recipes. There's a base recipe and a bunch of different herbs are used in there to help support people with their energy. So these people who have been to doctor after doctor or their MD doesn't believe them that there's anything to adrenal dysfunction, you have the ability to help them with changing their diet, which with improving their mindfulness practices, reducing their stress and having ways that they can transform that. Educate yourself. Join us on, I have tons of webinars that I do to go into this. We have a three-day live event that's coming up. We do them twice a year for health and wellness practitioners to really help you dig into these topics. And then, of course, we have our nutritional endocrinology practitioner training where you get the most in-depth treatment and the most in-depth study of functional and nutrition and endocrinology. So basically, nutritional endocrinology is that combination of functional nutrition, using nutrition functionally to build back the body. And the adrenals are part of that body. So you have the power to educate and empower your patients and clients to use the power of food and nutrition and lifestyle to balance their HPA axis, get their adrenals back to working, get their endocrine system back to working. Your job is to study and learn and know how to apply it and know how to customize so that you can be the best practitioner you possibly can be. So for more in-depth trainings, visit inemethod.com. Learn about some of the other trainings that we have. Check out the show notes page. Download at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash adrenal. Until next time, shine on.
Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.